You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm excited to have back the one, the only, the recently recovered Christy Morris. Hey, yo, I am back. Sorry that I had to take a little hiatus, but I uh, wasn't feeling well, and now I'm doing much better and thrilled to be back and talk about more awesome content with you, of course. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you were down and out, kind of like Rambo on the you know the bed springs. There, it was bad, but uh, you yeah. recover quite well. It, thankfully, no electrocution was involved. So <laughs> <laughs> that is that is excellent. That is excellent. Well, we are continuing the Rambo series here with First Blood Two. Are uh, is it called Rambo First Blood Two? I can't figure that out because I see it all different ways. Anyway, but. Back with us to continue the series is the one, the only, Mr. Snyder Cuts himself, John Mills. Uh, yes, it is officially Rambo First Blood Part 2. That is the title card that comes up uh, when you watch the film, and that is how it was billed when it came out. So unless you're also going to jump on the bandwagon of calling it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is not Rambo. It is Rambo First Blood Part 2. No, so, I'm not going to ever go. call Raiders of the Lost Ark that, because that's not what the name of the movie is. I'm sorry. There you go. Uh, so anyway. There you go. Uh, all kidding aside, we're so excited to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as we're recording this, we're having a banner month here on the 602 Club. So just wanted to say a huge thank you to all the listeners. We really appreciate you guys. Honestly, you're the reason we do this show. We have so much fun creating this content for you so thank you so much for listening uh you can find us of course wherever you get your podcasts if you're on apple Podcasts, you can give us a star rating review we'll read that on the show to thank you for your support there because it really does help the show grow you can also find us on twitter at the 602 club and we're on instagram at the 602 club tfm so please follow us both of those places interact with us we love having conversations with you guys uh, we have some great listeners who interact with us daily. So again, thank you so much. You know, you guys really is what makes this worth it. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got the listeners only discussion group there you can join called the Babel Conference. And then track.fm is the place where you can find all of the shows we're doing. And of course, you know, we've been growing the 602 Club side uh, with Snyder Cuts that John and I've been doing as we're walking through his entire catalog before we get to Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, and last but not least, maybe you would like to send us an email. We'd love to get that from you. You can do that for Snyder Cuts or the 602 Club. Just go over to track.fm slash contact, choose the 602 Club, and you can send that email to us and we'll respond in kind as well. So, now this is really interesting to me. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we get Rambo, First Blood or just first blood cuz that's what it's called then. Mm -hmm. Um and it's based off a book and there's only one book. And so the the character becomes popular, 
Uh, they decide they want to bring the character back here. Um, and I was really surprised to learn behind the scenes that they had actually brought very talented filmmaker James Cameron in at the time, who was a big, hot name, of course, right smack in the middle of the 80s, uh, to write the script for this. And what was really fascinating for me to see was what his script had in it that this movie doesn't, which is they had a script that which he had a partner. He had a rescue mission partner. Um, and they apparently wanted John Travolta to play that rescue mission partner. So I, I'm wondering what you guys kind of thought of that as an idea before we even get into the film itself. Uh, well, Matt, you can immediately see my face as I stuck my tongue out. <laughs> because uh, here's the thing. At this time in history, Travolta's career, although he's doing great, he's doing stuff like Urban Cowboy and Grease. And, you know, it just, it doesn't at all feel like the right actor to get for this kind of movie. If you're going to have Rambo have a partner, I feel like you need somebody that's going to be more steeped in the action genre. So you're saying that First Blood Part 2 wasn't ripe for, say, a musical number in the middle of the film? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we can totally agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet that if Travolta had been in it, they would have done something like had a dance number just oh. because it's Travolta oh. <laughs> sort of thing. Like he finds him at a club when they're supposed to go out on the mission or something. I mean, Cameron's script... What's interesting about it is, yeah, it starts with um, it starts with Rambo actually in a mental institution uh, as opposed to just uh, uh, in the, um, you know, working in the rock quarry. And it what what's interesting is there are vestiges of Cameron's script that are still in here, obviously, but you can see a lot of the ideas carry forward into both Aliens and Terminator 2. Because when they go to get Sarah Connor, she's in the mental institution. You have the hero having to go back into this horrific environment that they got away from and they want nothing to do with it again. That's Ripley going back to LV-426. And uh, according to uh, what I've read, Cameron worked on three scripts at once. Rambo First Blood Part Two was one of them. And he would work on the three scripts. He'd keep them at separate desks so that he never, quote unquote, crossed over. But obviously, some of those ideas gestated simultaneously. And he knew a good idea when he saw one and, and carried it forward. So, I mean, any great filmmaker is going to do that. You put it in a little, the little mental Rolodex. I'll come back to that idea later. It just didn't work this time. Um, what's really fascinating about it is they brought Morell back to write the novelization and he wound up using aspects of Cameron's script in his because uh, when he writes the novelization, the script that they have, you know, just has a lot of like Rambo shoots somebody helicopter flies overhead and he looks at it and he's like, there's not really a lot to work with here for a novel. So he went back and he, he sort of like blended Cameron's his own stuff and um, and the, the final script together. But yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely a very different film if they go with Cameron's vision. And there was actually a fight, not a fight, but there, there's a little bit of um, back and forth with Stallone and Cameron through the years until finally uh, Stallone, Stallone laid it out and said that, you know, he like 
gave his version of the story and ended it with, uh, and if James Cameron says anything different, he's swimming in a pool of lies or something like that. So it's like, oh, wow. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it is really interesting to hear that, you know, and what I think what's fascinating too is you see, you know, Stallone had Rocky and then he has Rambo and they're both very successful films. And part of the reason is because of him. So he really has a lot of cachet on what's going to happen in these films. And I think that's really interesting and, and something I want to touch on just in and, and just a little bit. But one of the things I thought was fascinating is that they tried to also get Lee Marvin back uh, because they wanted him to play the Marshall Murdoch character. But, of course, he declines. And, man, it would have been really interesting to kind of have him play this, like, swarmy... Uh, you know, senator here, um, but I, again, uh, John, I, I, I'm wondering if you still feel the same way. Is it hard to just see Lee Marvin and anything else? Yeah, I think Marvin winds up uh, would have wound up detracting. I think probably they also would have rewritten it that he would have really been in Vietnam as opposed to the way that Murdoch plays this time, which is he tells a little fib about where he was, and then you come to find out he, you know. He's like, nah, I, I wasn't there. It's it's not my war. I don't care. Like he he's a he's a bureaucrat who's smart enough to be a salesman to get Rambo on board. I think Marvin changed the changes the dynamic of things. I I'm glad. I I'm I will say I'm glad that it wasn't him in that role. I, I do think it would have wound up. It would have been a different movie. Like it's hard to say. Would it have been better? Would it have been worse? I think it just would have been different. And I I think that um, yeah, Charles Napier is the actor's name, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Napier does such a tremendous job with his role in this movie that I don't want to see anybody else in it. So That's how I felt about it, too. I think especially when you see that initial flip where you realize that the entire pitch was a lie, uh, I think that Napier did it justice and i i you know i although i love lee marvin i think that like you said john it just would have been different um and i think that marvin kind of can come across stronger and less um smarmy and conniving than napier did it and uh, i wouldn't have liked that as much so yeah i think that charles napier was the good choice for this yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting to me because I think you're both right. Um, and on top of that, I think that so one of the main things that Stallone really is interested in p- portraying in this movie that the Cameron script doesn't is the politics of the time with the, you know, MIA prisoners. Uh, you know, he he obviously has a real heart for this. And so the fact that that wasn't there was really important to him. And that's one of the reasons why they don't go with Cameron's script so that this movie in many ways just becomes about, it becomes about the politics and these men that were left. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's interesting because what you have is you have this character in the middle of Rambo who doesn't care about the politics of the thing. Like he just wants to do the right thing, which he believes is to take care of these men, especially once they find that they're there. 
Um, and I thought that this movie, it, I'm sure people could knock it for being not nuanced enough, but I thought that there's, there's actually quite a bit of nuance in this film as much as there was in the first one in the sense that we're dealing with a lot of really hot button issues at the time and we're kind of showing all different sides to the issue, right? And I mean, we have we have the hero that we look at, right? And it it it's it tells us the movie tells us that Rambo's the the one in the right, you know, the the one that mm-hmm. we should should look to is is being the one that's right. Um, but I, you know, I thought this is interesting because this swarming is is you know, uh. Murdoch is, he brings up the whole idea of the different types of politics that go into the money and the types of choices that governments make about all of these issues. And it's not necessarily so clear cut, you know? And so I I thought that they kind of did a decent job, at least, of kind of trying to give you all the ramifications, yet at the same time, you know, we, we make Murdoch such a jerk by the end that it's hard to remember that. Well, I think I think Murdoch's a good replacement for uh, Brian Dennehy's character um, from the first mm-hmm. one. He's sort of a stand-in for that. But in terms of the the hot button issues, what, what I find interesting is a lot of what this movie sort of gets pinged for uh, in terms of what you're saying not being nuanced enough. I, I think Gene Siskel put it probably the most delicately of the critical responses. Where he said, what Rambo does, it does very well, but the, the problem is that not everything that it does is particularly good or something like that. Like, where, where he, and he gave it three out of four stars. And so I think what it is, is this movie needs to be appreciated on, on the level, uh, of the same way that you would approach a, like John Wick, right? And Rambo has a reason and it's very quickly laid out. And we're going to get to the action as fast as we can. And John Wick is pretty much the same way. And what's intriguing is I don't know whether it's because audiences have now accepted this genre and moved forward with it. But I really think that Stallone is sort of punching through and evolving the action hero to a different sort of level with First Blood Part 2. And... For that reason, I think he's sort of like tip of the spear. Now, I'm not saying that like this is the first action movie ever made or anything like that, but I I do think things shift because of this movie. Audiences responded to it so positively that filmmakers could easily see a reason to adapt the genre and say, okay, people just, all right, we're, we got 90 minutes. Let's, let's get to it as fast as we can. Let's give them just a, a very straightforward sort of uh, arc and, and get to what the people are paying their popcorn money for sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think too, that it really shows what Stallone is saying he felt was needed in this movie, that it wasn't just about the action that it had to include that political side. And like you said, Matt kind of show both sides of the issue. Um, but also it showed me even more of a sensitive side or another part of Rambo himself in his interactions with the female character. Um, I think that it's really neat showing that 
he's got this soft side that he does still believe in general in doing the right thing, that he's not just a guy who is gone crazy and is out there killing people all willy nilly. He's got his reasons. He has a moral code. And he also believes that when someone's a good person, whether they're a man or a woman, that their life is valuable. You know, it's really interesting, too, because in the novelization, Morel really gives a lot more backstory and interplay between the two characters. And so we do have a very abbreviated relationship with them uh, here in the film. But in the book, there is a lot of shading given to everything uh, to the point where it's very flatly sort of laid out where she says to him, I, I got to get out of here. My And she, she has family that, that managed to get out to the States and she stayed behind and she's a CIA, uh, you know, liaison to make everything work. And she says to him, to, to Rambo, marry me so I can come back with you. And Rambo, it's very clearly laid out in the book. He's so broken. He doesn't have even an iota of sex drive left in his life. Mm-hmm. He, he has absolutely no interest in her at all. But he comes around in the book and says, yeah, if that's what it's going to take to get you back. And this is just to speak to your point, Christy, he recognizes the right thing to do is to get her out of here. And so he sort of assesses the situation. And yes, that's, that's what we need to do to get you back to the States. And she even says, you can just divorce me as soon as it's all done. I don't care about that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so their, their relationship has a little bit more uh, shading to it in the, in the book, but I think, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but I think it's effective enough here to play fairly well. Um, although I do think that it could have stood a little bit more of a, a character beat somewhere along the way, just an extra scene between the two of like them. Like a little more development. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a little more conversation would have been nice. I see that. But yeah, I, I mean, maybe a little less conversation, a little more action, please. <laughs> Except if he has no sex drive, there doesn't need to be more action. He's he's pretty broken at this point. <laughs> I'm just yes. teasing. I'm yeah. just quoting Elvis. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. And and you know one of the things that I think you know makes this having a little bit of a love story for Rambo interesting here is that it does give you the opportunity to allow him to become more human again. You know. Um, in the sense that, you know, in that first movie, he was so struggling with his humanity. And like you said, John, like they kind of portray him in the book where he's just so broken. And here it's like she's able to find the chink in the armor, you know, like that there is a real guy behind this armor that he's got on all the time that he's put on all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually does work to have this bit of a love story. Now, I think you're absolutely both right. I do wish it's almost like maybe five more minutes of them together somehow throughout the rest of the movie would have been great because then it's even more powerful when she dies. And it might have led to them keeping in a uh, a moment that they wound up cutting out because test audiences reacted so poorly. The editors talked about it on the behind the scenes stuff where when she died in the in the test screening cut, he lets out the traditional what you come to expect in this type of 
high-intensity thing where he's holding her and he looks up at the sky and he screams, no! And apparently it got laughs from the test audience. Oh. And they said, eh, we can just cut that out. But if there had been just a little bit more, that moment would have been probably retained because it, it, it would have i think probably what those test audiences re reacted to was it didn't feel earned to have that explosive of a reaction in that moment for him yeah i that makes sense to me i'm glad they cut it honestly <laughs> oh yes oh but yes I, well that, that, that and even this well. the way they they talked about it being shot where it kind of like Boom, 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 and it like pulls out, you know, in this stuttered motion, yeah. and, that and he looks straight up, too. and he's yeah. holding her body. Yeah, no, yes, no. but it still meant something to me, even when it's showing that he's just buried her and puts his hands down for a minute, because it's like just absorbing the fact that he's lost something else, as if he didn't have anything else left to lose already. He's now had a, a human connection for the first time with somebody really, you know, deeper than just friendship. And now that's gone, too. So I I, I do. Um, I am kind of surprised to hear when you were saying, John, that there were people that felt like it lacked something or, or didn't have the substance of the first movie, because I didn't feel that here. Well, but see, the thing is, this is this is what's tough, right, is. That nowadays critics are, and this is a loaded way to put it, but critics are less important now hmm. because everybody can go out and share their opinion online immediately. The tastemakers, as it were, didn't particularly care for First Blood Part Two because they very much came at it. People like Pauline Kael, you know, the New York Times and stuff like that, viewed this as um, sort of groundling entertainment. You, you. This movie is not going to appeal to somebody who, um, you know, wants to watch the latest Robert Altman film while having a nice Chablis or something. Uh, like I gotcha. That, you know, and I like <laughs> I know how that can come across, but it's like, you know, th this is this is entertainment for people of, uh, uh, you know. Normal, like, I don't want to say normal people, but like, when I go to the movies, I know what I'm in, I know what I've picked, and I know what I'm in for, and I don't have an expectation necessarily. And I, I'm not saying I, like, I'm a, you know, big power, I'm, you know, sort of like an editorial eye mm -hmm. sort of thing. You know, when you go, when I go in to see a Star Trek movie, I don't have the same expectation of it that I do of a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I can draw the distinction there. And I think that sometimes, especially, Back in the eight, but the pre-internet days, especially critics didn't draw that distinction. They sat down and they said, well, show me what you got. And I think they just lost a lot of um, ability to judge a hamburger for a hamburger and a steak for a steak sort of thing. That's a good well, way to put it. Yeah. You know, I, I Thanks. I think that, you know, it, it's interesting to me because, again, I, I think... One of the smart things that they do with the film is actually insert this love story because, you know, if you do want this character to continue, I think you need to find more nuance in the character. And so to give him some sort of thing that he cares about beyond himself 
is really important. And the love story helps with that, I think. This this ability to find a way to have love again, you know, it, it, like where she's like, you know, what's your what's the thing you love most in the world or the thing you like most in the world? Or, you know, he's like he holds up his knife and you're like, <laughs> OK, that's where this guy is. And then. Throughout the story, you know, he he comes to have a respect for her. And, and I think part of that was because, you know, they don't treat her as in some sort of like damsel in distress or anything like that. You know, she's at his mm-hmm. side the whole time. She's kicking butt like he is. You she know, comes like, back to save them all. Exactly. Exactly. Spot on. So, right. I mean, they make her an important part of the story. Beyond just being, quote unquote, the love interest, right? Like, mm-hmm. without her, Rambo would be dead. Um, and so I I think that's the thing that really helps this storyline and it makes it more relevant. And I think the other thing that what it does is, you know, we kind of talked about the idea of the politics. And in the end, Rambo doesn't care about the politics, Rambo just cares about these guys who have been used and abused by their government. They've been sent to this place and then, quote unquote, forgotten because they're not, quote unquote, needed anymore. And so what he says at the end of the film, you know, I mean, you you could take it as cheesy, but I think it's really true. Like these guys, they loved their country. They went over there. They did a thing. And now they just want to be able to feel as loved by their country as much as they love their country. And, you know, that ability to be loved, feel love, have love, it all goes into this idea of, like, the love story that we got with Rambo and being able to, like, open yourself up again when you've been so betrayed by something as big as a country. How, I mean, how hard would it be to have love in the first place? So I think what it does is it really ties into that last thematic element that we get where you know, and the real political message in here is that it, this isn't political. It's just about we need to see these guys as men, regardless of the you know the war that they fought or whatever. They deserve to be seen as men who need our our love and respect, and and need to be um, brought back home with honor. Um, and yet, that's you know we saw in the first movie that's not what they got, and we see in the second movie that they just keep getting betrayed over and over again. And like, oh my gosh, that's just heart wrenching. And you know, too, uh, to piggyback on that, Matt, I felt that especially when Rambo is talking to her on the boat before they even get to the village initially, and he says, "I'm expendable," and it keeps coming back mm-hmm. up. Her saying, "You're not expendable." I don't want you to think that way about yourself because nobody is because your country should recognize every single human being as a person who has value and not just as a number. Yeah. And there, there is, I think that is the political angle and Murdoch of course is the the conduit by which it's, it's conveyed because of the fact I, how many people before they saw this movie had ever heard of this idea that, there was ransom asked for for prisoners of war and it was refused because we don't deal that way. We are not going to do that. And Murdoch even says, and the thing is you can understand his logic with it where he says, we're going to give them money to wage different types of war against us. That doesn't make any sense. 
Well, yeah, if you look at it just on a ledger sheet, but the way that Rambo and um, Troutman are looking at it, who cares what it costs? These guys have lives and families. Mm-hmm. You're you're killing all of them. Bring them back. Why not? Um, and you know, it's it's really it's really interesting because of the fact that this comes out like there was that seismic shift in the eighties about the way people really reevaluated uh, the, the Vietnam war and the way people were treated. And of course, you know, first blood is one of the first indicators of that. And first blood part two, I think is that sort of cathartic expression of everybody's frustration and anger about the way things happened. And I think that's probably why it, it really resonated as strongly as it did. Like when it, when it came out, it was, it had like some sort of record breaking box office weekend, uh, which, you know, with numbers that nowadays, you know, like doesn't even pay for the craft services on a Marvel film. But like for back then, it was abs, it was absolutely killing it at the box office. And it, I think it's because it taps into that vein. And what, what's also really interesting is I, I wonder in, in a way sometimes of how many worldviews got shaped in a, in a sense because Murdoch as the government agent, and his cronies, you know, his, you know, his pilots and, and everybody that are with him, it really portrays the bureaucracy in a really terrible light about the fact that, you know, just from the very beginning, Murdoch says, nah, he's not going to find anybody, but, you know, we got to keep the senators happy and, you know, keep the checks flowing. So whatever, you know, we're, we're just sending him over there. And it's like, they, when you really think about that and how dismissive he is, they're sending a single person over into a life and death situation that not only do they think is going to fail, they hope is going to fail because if he finds anything, that's bad for everybody. So you would say to yourself, why are you even sending somebody over there? Why wouldn't you just say you sent somebody over there and you didn't find, like, you know, like there's a whole lot that you can sort of pick apart with Murdoch's character and his motivations and including the fact that he when he has his breakdown the classic thing I just I just had my orders I was just following my orders well how many people in the chain thought that this was the right thing to do why didn't somebody even Murdoch at least read Rambo in and say listen this is the way it's going to break down because it's going to change the way Rambo approaches the whole thing mm-hmm. or whether he even accepts it or even why didn't Erickson decide to do something he was flying the helicopter right. dropping him in there thank you <laughs> exactly well, and, or picking and, him yep. up it, sorry it's yep. funny Christy because you were commenting before we started that I have this uh, sweatshirt on USA versus everybody <laughs> but really this movie ends up being Rambo versus everybody you mm-hmm. know because mm-hmm. The only person who is on Rambo's side is Troutman, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, he wants him, he, he not only wants him to succeed, you know, he wants to, to be able to bring these guys home as well, because, of course, his relationship with Rambo, you know, we see at the beginning of the movie, he, he wants him, um, he's tried to get him out of, of prison and everything, you know, he's done all, everything he can uh, for him, um, and I, I think... You know, it, it, John, you were saying about the idea of the bureaucracy. It's it. I think you're absolutely right that this movie may be 
in some ways responsible for helping shape an entire generation's beginning mistrust in their government that started with, you know, all the way back to Watergate where it gets started. But here, you know, you see a movie like this, it portrays, you know, the bureaucracy really not caring about you. I mean, basically, that's what the movie's saying. If you went and fought in this war, yeah, your government really doesn't care about you. You're just a number on a balance sheet that they're trying to figure out how it all balances out. You know, so this is another link in that chain that I think has an impact on that. You know, how we feel about our government and whether we feel like we can trust it. And, you know, I mean, it it's sad to say that, you know, through the 80s and the 90s and the aughts, you know, we've, we've just continued to, to chip away at that. And part of that is just because of the things that we find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the bureaucracy hasn't done itself any service in that. And this movie kind of brings that up where you feel like it's you versus everybody. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like the promise of America is that it is us versus everybody, right? Like we become the nation together, one nation, you know, and and it just so I, I do think that's really interesting that this movie kind of like hints at that idea that's just going to be something that becomes even bigger and more pronounced in the time that we live. Yeah. You know, I think that um, if anything, it speaks to this idea that uh, Watergate wasn't an anomaly, that the disillusionment started well before the 70s, that it wasn't a, a novel uh, situation. Um and a movie like this, I think, is important for audiences to experience so that they can feel that idea that somebody can do something. That, you know, it's the whole appeal of Superman. I'm powerless, but if just the right hero comes along, he can lead us out of this mess and maybe show us the way. But to speak to that, I think what's very interesting is that at the end of the film, Rambo walks off. He has no interest in leading a movement. He has no interest in now that he's done this thing and exposed this stuff. He's not going to go back to Washington and give an impassioned speech on the floor of Congress. He's not going to start a pack. He's not going to hold a sandwich board outside of CIA headquarters or anything. He's just done. He's out. Peace. I you know, like I, I think it's one of the most poetic endings that they could have gone with is that he gives that impassioned speech and just drops the mic and walks, literally walks off into the sunset. You know, just I'm out. I'm completely finished. This is until you get your house in order. I don't even want to come home. And that's going to pay off in some sense uh, with a future film in the series, actually. But um, for this one, I, I mean, I'd like to put it to you, Christy. What other way could they have ended this movie than with John Rambo walking off and just basically divorcing his country at this point? The one thing I wish could have happened was that the girl hadn't died. I wish. Yeah, that would have been nice. Because I liked seeing them teaming up together against everybody and him finally having Mm -hmm. a confidant to go through everything with uh, so it wasn't just him alone all the time, because I definitely think that's the big thing you see about him from the get go of First Blood is that he's alone, that he feels like the only person he has in the world that he can trust or that he feels friendship with is Troutman. And he doesn't even see Troutman that much. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that if they had kept her alive and he and her had brought the POWs back together and then either they ended up staying together in America or possibly then going their separate ways and he's just, you know, doing a nice thing for her. Um, I think that would have been a little bit better. That is a really interesting question. I can see that. Because, it, you know, it does... I'm all about the songs tonight, but uh, it does kind of bring to mind to me like bad blood, right? Now there is some bad blood between Rambo and the United States because he kind of has seen the real underbelly of what's happening, right? Like, and he does, again, it goes back to that idea of feeling loved and wanted, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and well, so it, it does create this, this, issue and i i mean i think john like you said i you know you could have her survive and everything but in many ways i think it drives home the point for him that right now he does feel like a man with no country Uh, yeah but but the thing where i where i'd put the twist on it what i what i think is an interesting escalation from first blood to first blood part two is in first blood he just feels like Everybody's dying around him. He's lost. He he he's broken inside. Nobody's helping him, and he's frustrated and alone, and 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 all of these things because of the mismanagement and the mistreatment. Whereas I think in First Blood Part Two, what's added in there through Murdoch's character is the sort of horrific realization that it was calculated on a certain level Mm. that it wasn't just that people didn't know what they were doing is that there was actual malfeasance purposeful malfeasance is the reason these guys are still in a camp is the reason that they got left behind is the reason why people like Rambo weren't treated well is because there were people who it wasn't just that they weren't good at their jobs is that they actively were made bad decisions for political reasons. I mean, yeah, I mean, in the end, they are numbers on a political abacus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is interesting too making that distinction, John, because I even wondered with the conversation that he has with Troutman before he even goes on this mission, he says, again, you're the only one I trust. Like he already knows before he gets in the helicopter to go for the drop yeah. that he, this is a setup. But he mm-hmm. goes anyway because he believes in what he's doing is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, and, which, which makes him all the more heroic. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, John, something we you said earlier, you know, this kind of brings into mind that the whole idea of creating a genre to which there's the one guy who's standing for its right. And everybody else isn't, you know, like, and it creates that whole, you know, I mean, so many Schwarzenegger movies go that way. Like you said, the John Wick movies kind of play out in that, in, in, in that way. Some, in, in some sense, you know, this, this whole idea is that there's one person who's going to do the right thing because nobody else is going to do the right thing. Um, which I guess kind of goes back to the Dirty Harry movies too, you know, like, the anti-hero hero, you know, because nobody else will do this. I'm going to do it, um, which brings up vigilantes and everything as well. You know, I just it, it's interesting because it's 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 part of our cultural zeitgeist now 
to, to just have that idea. Um, and, and I think the reason, you know, to me, one of the reasons then he Rambo as a character became so popular is that we secretly want that, you know, we secretly want somebody to be able to stand up and do the right thing, regardless of the consequences, because that's not how most of us live, right? We're also worried about the consequences we might face for standing up for what's right. Rambo is worth, Rambo is willing to take those chances. You know, he's mm-hmm. willing to say, to heck with it, I'll I'll do what must be done regardless of what the consequences to my own personal self. And I mean, that's, John, we talk about that on um, our episode that hasn't dropped yet, but it's, it's a stinger for it. But Legends of the Guardians, uh, the Snyder movie, they animated with the owls, you know, that doing what's right means doing it over and over and over again, regardless of the cost. And that's what Rambo's willing to do. And that's what makes for a real true hero. I, I also think, though, I, because I, I think we have to be honest that this movie is also embraced because it is such a great thrill ride oh yeah the action in this is so i i i get a thrill out of so much of it i i love the way that they stage and direct things i think that george p cosmatos is not he's never going to make the list of greatest directors out there or anything like that he's directed two movies i enjoy greatly uh one even more than this tombstone with uh kurt russell is such a good movie you know oh what a gem but the action in this is staged so well and is so um, ahead of the curve in terms of other action movies that are out there. I still love everything, how over the top all of it is, but also, you know, just when he's on the boat and the guy drops down and he's, he's garroting him and he lifts Rambo up and Rambo's able to spin himself around and stab him. Through. Like, there's so many action set piece moments in this that are beautifully put together and considering the fact that their director of photography was literally pulled off of vacation because they lost their original uh, director of photography. And so they went out and they got, um, they, they got this, the, this British cinematographer who happened to be on vacation and basically pleaded with him Aww. to come and take the movie. And then, of, of you know, of course, also shoveled a ton of cash in front of him. And he was like, oh, all right. Vacation's over. And just like went and, and went to work with them. Um, and the guy had like his own legendary, uh, you know, career up to that point and everything. But it's just so many pieces come together. And I think that... Um, while this isn't a perfect movie, it's definitely, I, I I struggle to think of why anybody would look at this and not understand why it captured everybody's, um, you know, hearts and wallets as it were. Mm -hmm. And why it, why Rambo remains to this day, such a cultural touchstone is first blood was a movie that, you know, people saw and people liked and people respected. This is the movie that turns Rambo into a reference. This is this is where he becomes that indelible 1980s character that you cannot escape from. And, e- you know, just even the fact that they approach it, 
you can come into this and never having seen first blood. Mm-hmm. You don't need it. You get the setup before the, the, the credits roll. You get the little, the little teaser in front. You know, they have, you have your little cold open. You know, this is a Vietnam vet. He's working hard labor. Something bad happened in the past and his colonel's getting him out of prison so that he can go on one last mission. That's all you got. Like five minutes. Boom. Credits go up. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in the middle of it. It's, you know, I, I, sorry. I, I get a little too effusive because the thing is, it's, um, it's really weird because this, this hits you on such an emotional level on top of everything else. And I think it's just because everything just comes together so right for this to work. What, whatever other deficiencies there are, you know, it, it just sort of clicks after a certain point. Oh, I felt the same way you did. I, I think that they not only give him some really cool gadgets that he gets to have every time. I love the knife that the cap unscrews to have a compass and like some stuff in there, you know, things mm-hmm, that you need. Mm-hmm. So all he really needs is his knife. Um, but I like that he gets to have the bow and arrow with the really interesting tips and, um, you know, causing the explosions and the fires and stuff when he needs to. Um, and I like how they do the cinematography to slow down in the moments that he's aiming with the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And show that mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, takes a little more finesse than just pulling out a machine gun. Um, and I, I think that all of that combined with the emotional part of it and having some references to First Blood where they're having him hide and pick off guys again really mm-hmm. add up to this being a, a great movie. And then, you know, Matt and I have talked about before, we like where they've decided to cut something down to what's most essential. And so the movie seems to move pretty quickly instead of having all of this extra stuff that you really probably don't even need. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like, like, can you imagine, because this is about an hour and a half, add another 20 minutes to this, it becomes laborious. It really get it. It would slow down so much that, You'd be sitting there in the first reel saying, okay, come on, let's get, and that, that's why they cut the script down is because Stallone said it, you know, um, when he was talking about Cameron's script is he said, you know, Cameron's a great writer and everything, but it, it would have been like 30, 40 minutes before we got to the action and audiences aren't going to sit for that. They, they know why they're here basically. Yeah. And I just think that's really astute on, uh, Stallone's part to, to know that. And can I just say as a woman, a heterosexual woman. Dang, he looked good. You know, he actually, uh, he, the training he went through for this was like blew people's minds. I bet. He, <laughs> he literally did this whole program where it was months long, four hours a day, totally changed his diet, super regimented, super absolute. And I think, I think it winds up changing Stallone for the rest of his life, you know, because from this point forward, he becomes that chiseled figure. And, um, seriously, it was like, like people were blown away by the fact that he, he basically went off and just did such intensive training. And he was basically carved out of stone when he walked out of it. Mm-hmm. And it, because he felt that was just his responsibility as, Rambo to look like that on screen and I gotta tell you I'm not attracted the way that you are but I see him without his shirt on I'm like wow that is that is a lot of hard work 
that is a lot right. of effort like, that's right also, there. I have to respect yeah, that. Yeah, you're just like, I mean, that's like a very tiny percentage of humanity that's willing to put in the kind of work that it takes to look like that. Yep. It, it's funny and you mention that because uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what um, Henry Cavill said about playing Superman, and that's why he he and did I all the work too. that he did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he he felt the responsibility to portray the character that people had seen in the comics, and for them not to be let down, mm-hmm. you know. And I, John, I think you're absolutely right with Stallone doing that here. And Julia Nixon even said she's like, "This is one of the few movies where the guy looks better than the girl in the movie." Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So because she appreciated yeah, it true. too. So no, I mean, I think. You know, the the action here, what's great about it is how it really holds up. And there was even the editors were talking about how Stallone even had he wanted them to hold the shot as he draws back the bow. He releases it and then have it hold for a second. So he called it basically arrow time, which is him watching the arrow travel to the position it was going to go to to hit. Because it takes longer than a bullet, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I think all of that really works well because the action all feels so realistic, you know. And, um, you know, the, the great scene where he jumps out of the mud at the guy, you know. Yes. With, and everything. And, like, uh, there's just so much yeah. in this movie that becomes iconic later on in other films, you know, because they, they're they just basically doing what had already been done here in this film. And I, I think it's great. You know, the action is really, I mean, again, coming from the 21st century, all of the action here, none of it feels ridiculous. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the mud thing because as much of the, you know, sort of quote-unquote rivalry between Stallone and Schwarzenegger for box office dominance and manliness and all of that sort of thing that they had fun with back then. Um, That mud scene you see pop up a couple of years later in Uh Predator. And, you know, like, it's, it's weird to watch Rambo now and look at it and be like, Wow, they literally just ripped that idea straight out of this. They just, they just completely stole that for, for Predator. I mean, it doesn't mean I like it any less. It's just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, you know, one of the things that I think, and we've already talked about, you know, now because just through our conversations, but you know, they, I think they did a great job with all of the casting here. Uh, the only thing I would mention is obviously, John, we just talked about uh, the Karate Kid. So it's a little bit sad that Martin Cove doesn't get more to do in this movie um, mm-hmm. because it would have been great to see him do more. But I mean, what's great is that you've already kind of seen him in such a jerk role. So when he's playing this role, it works perfectly. You know, uh, you, you can see him as being this guy who's willing to go along with Murdoch and really not ask any questions. And betray his own conscience because he he has a problem with the orders, but he does it yep. anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's another example of like if just if he just says to Murdoch in that moment, no, I can't do that. He's right there. I can't not pick him up. Um, everything goes how how differently. Um, and so it's, you know, the, everybody in that chain is responsible uh, all the way down to the person who decides not to do the right thing in that moment. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Man, that, it's interesting because you what you just said is this is what happens when good men do nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. You know? So, 
that yeah, even if you have your orders, that you still make a choice. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah. It's great yep. stuff. All right. So uh, what are we going to rate Rambo First Blood Part 2, John? You know, it's funny because while we've been talking, my, my rating for Rambo First Blood Part 2 uh, for a long time was about three out of five. Um, I was pretty tough on the movie. Um, and then I, I rewatched it not so long ago and I was like, you know, I was a little tough on it, but I also wound up reading the novelization and I'm just going to take a minute to say the novelization is stone cold. Five stars. Couldn't put it down. Read it in like three days. Just absolutely. What Morell pulls off is absolute genius with that book. Can't recommend it highly enough. I don't think you can get it in print anymore for an affordable price. Maybe you can. I don't know. I couldn't find it. But you can get digital for like six bucks. Well worth your money. Um, But just sitting here having this conversation, I realized that honestly, I'm probably at a good four out of five stars. Like I, after I read the novel, I went up to three and a half. I was like, oh, I can kind of see what they're doing. But as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm like, this is this is a four out of five. It is what it is. It knows what it does. And it knows what it wants to do, and it accomplishes it. So, uh, yeah, four out of five for me. Yeah, I'm going to have to be in the same boat. I uh, Actually, this is the viewing I saw for reviewing on this show. It was the first time I've actually seen this film. I've seen First Blood a million times, but I never saw all the other films. So, oh, yeah, wow. uh, this for me was also a four out of five. Uh, I'm going to say Compass Knives because I still think that's the coolest gadget. I want one. Um, but, you know, for all the reasons John said, uh, for also getting the vulnerability and that little bit of um, romance, but more just, I would say, a human connection and confidant than romance. And then really, I mean, we all walk away from it feeling like, I want to be that guy. You know, you you want to be the one good person that stands up when nobody else will. You want to be the person that's running through the you know, water with the cool gadgets and taking everybody out for the good, the good cause. So yeah, for me, it's four out of five as well. It's funny because I, I think that we're all on the same page. Um, you know, this is, this is just, it is a good solid movie and it transcends because uh, I think Stallone was right to, fight for the things that he fought for in this film because I think that they do help the movie transcend and like you mentioned Christy and also he knows exactly what this movie is it's not a two and a half hour film it's mm-hmm. an hour and a half you know like and you, you don't need to pat it more so absolutely 100% agree and uh, yeah it's just been really fun to go through the series and, and this is the first time that I've seen this as well so, you know, I'm, I'm stunned. Like yeah. th- this was, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like th- this video cassette was like, this was part and parcel of growing up. This was like, because it was so violent and you weren't supposed to see it, you know, until you were a certain age. It was like, yeah, let's watch Rambo. Let's watch Rambo. It's like, oh my God, what happened in that movie? <laughs> like, it, I'm so, I, like, I, 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 I wish I could go back and see it for the first time. Is what I'm saying. That that's terrific. I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys got to but see. Hey, it. you're still talking to the girl that saw Predator way too young. So <laughs> very, very true. Very true. It may not have been <laughs> Rambo: so First great. Blood Part Two, but I did see Predator as a child. <laughs> 
uh, argue, arguably more scarring, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> well, this is the time uh, of the show where we do some recommendations. And so, John, since you're the guest, what are you going to be recommending this week? I hope I have not recommended it before. It's possible, but I don't think I have. But um, re- relatively recently released is The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, yes. the re-edit of the, God- of the much reviled The Godfather Part 3. Um, it's a re-edit, uh, retitling. And Coppola, you know, says this is, this is much closer to the original vision that he and Puzo had for the film that it wasn't supposed to be quote unquote part three. This is the epilogue of Michael Corleone's life. And I can say that it is definitively much more enjoyable than the original cut and well worth, uh, well worth seeing. So you're saying if I ever watch these, I should watch Godfather, Godfather part two, and then Godfather Coda. Yes. And I will pay for you and your wonderful husband to, uh, rent and watch these. Well, films, apparently we uh, own you Godfather, and I still haven't seen it. So, oh, <laughs> I, I strongly encourage you to see the Godfather. Okay. Man, I how do you even do. know what day yes. of the week it is? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. I mean, <laughs> she doesn't even know what to do with the gun, John. Well, you know, you you, you leave the gun, you take the cannolis. Exactly. On, obviously. So anyway, it'll make sense later. <laughs> So uh, I have a recommendation I was really excited about as well. Uh, I kept seeing ads for this and kept saying, no, I'm not going to give in to the marketing. I'm not going to get another subscription just because of this one show. And then I did it anyway. So uh, I recommend watching Men in Kilts, which is now on Stars, which I currently have the promotional price of $5 a month for six months just for that one show. And then decided to find other things that I could watch on there. <laughs> but uh, it's Sam Hewen and Graham McTavish, who are two of the lead characters in Outlander, that are going on a uh, reality show uh, road trip around Scotland. And they're both also from Scotland. So it's really cool because actually each episode talks about a different aspect of Scottish culture. The first one they did was food. And then I think the next one they're going to do is... Um, Possibly sport. Ooh, but yeah, they, they did food and whiskey as the first episode. And uh, My two favorite things from Scotland. Well, whiskey there you go. Least, but, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it it just cool. it's so cool to a see it for from people that are actually from there and not just somebody, you know, going in from the outside to figure out all the secrets. Um, and then all of the jokes as well, because it's just like seeing two best friends go on a road trip. Oh, cool. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm, you know, this was a tough one. One, John, I love the recommended code. I think I might have recommended it a few weeks back. I don't remember, but it was so much better uh, than three uh, and, and absolutely a much better end to the Godfather series. So I heartily agree with that. Chrissy, I'm going to have to watch that now because, well, I love Scotland and I love its whiskey and... I love Scotland. Did I say that already? And you so, love kilts? Yes. I, I, well, when <laughs> I say I love kilts, I don't know. I've never worn a kilt, so I can't make it. I mean, I'm, who's to say it wouldn't be nice and breezy? But um, I'm going to recommend something my wife and I just watched the other night. Um, is It Happened One Night, which is the classic Clark Gable film. 
Uh, and it is actually, I would say, the template for just about every romantic comedy you ever have watched uh, way back in the day, back in 1934. It's so funny. Um, and it just, it was, I just, I love movies like that. And it's so much fun to kind of go back to them. And, you know, I'm sure many people have just kind of missed those types of films. So highly encourage you to go check it out. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, and just, it's, it's goofy and campy and silly and all the things that make up for a great romantic comedy. And again, this is one which, Pretty much everything you watch these days has some bit or piece of this film in it. So, yeah, it's it's great. But, um, John, if uh, people do, you know, want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on these days, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me as Kessel Junkie online, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, I, you know, your social network of choice, I try to lurk a little bit everywhere. So go and find me if you want. Um you can also find me over on the Nerd Party co-hosting a series called uh, House Lights, where we look at the uh, careers of directors. And then I am also on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast uh, with you, Matt, over on the Nerd Party. And then uh, appearing in the uh, short-run show Snyder Cuts, examining the work of uh, Zack Snyder right here on um, 602 tfm network so that's that's where you can find me yeah i need to check that one out since i'm gonna be watching the Zack snyder justice league as well i i hope you do i hope you do i, I think uh, matt and i are having a lot of fun because uh he's coming at it as a Zack snyder mega fan and i'm coming at it from a slightly different angle and so we're making we're, a mega fan a of you fun. so far so i'm just saying <laughs> ahead of ourselves here i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> all it's the ratings you've been given have been good so just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and of course you can find me, Christy at Bespin Bell on Twitter and Instagram. And then of course I try to come and lurk in the Babel conference and you can find me on another show I do with my friend, Amanda Defonzo called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking through Neverland network Skynet. And we are on Twitter and Instagram as well at Sabres and Spells and are going to be soon talking about maybe some WandaVision, maybe some other stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that. And you could find me all over the place in social media under MattRushing02 if I'm on that platform. Just look for that. Uh, you can also find me here on the network doing The Orb as well as Literary Treks with uh, Chris Jones. We talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek on Literary Treks. And then we talk about Deep Space Nine on The Orb. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I'm not only doing aggressive negotiations, but of course... You can find me doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman as we are talking about every chapter in the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time, and we're wrapping it up now, so I hope you'll check it out. It's been a lot of fun, but thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.